The cycle of grace, as we've heard over the last few weeks, starts with acceptance, which leads to sustenance, followed by significance, which results in fruitfulness. So fruitfulness is what we're going to talk about today. Um, We've mostly talked about the cycle of grace, but a few times we've referenced the cycle of works. The cycle of works moves in the opposite direction. It starts with fruitfulness or achievement or the stuff in life that you do in order to feel significant, which hopefully will give us some amount of energy to sustain us, and hopefully the stuff that we do will lead to someone accepting us. So we're either living in one of these two cycles, the cycle of grace or the cycle of works. And now certainly it's possible to move back and forth between these two cycles that we live in. And you can even do that inside of one day. But hopefully our life is a progression of us learning how to get out of the cycle of works and learning to stay in the cycle of grace. So we're going to be wrapping up this series today. And what I would like you to do is to try and figure out which cycle you've been spending the majority of your time in either cycle of grace or the cycle of works. So it's much less of a question of whether or not you should be fruitful and much more a question of where that fruitfulness comes from in your life. Is the fruit in your life a byproduct of your relationship with the Lord or is it you striving for a place of acceptance with the Lord? There's a lot of examples in the Bible of our call to fruitfulness But I picked two examples that I wanted to share with you today. One from the beginning of the Bible and one from the time when Jesus walked on earth. First, we're going to look at Genesis 1.28. said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is really important because this is the first time that God tells mankind what they're supposed to do. And sometimes when we think of the garden, we think of paradise, right? And the garden really was paradise. It was the perfect life for humans, and they were in perfect relationship with God. But a lot of times when we think of paradise, we kind of have like an idea of a vacation. We think of like laying on the beach in the Bahamas or something like that. But this, right? (laughs) But... This was paradise. This was perfect life. And in that place of perfect life for mankind, God gave us a job. He didn't say just sit back and let someone bring you your drinks and lay back in the chair. He actually gave people a job, something to be fruitful at, something to work at. The next example I'd like to give you is in the New Testament. And these are actually, actually Jesus' last words to mankind. It's Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we have this very first directive towards mankind in the Garden of Eden. And we have this last directive towards mankind, the last words that Jesus said before he left earth. And in both of these directives, he gives us jobs to do. He gives us something to work at, something to be fruitful at. 
Right now we live in a day where fruitfulness is almost demonized and rest is idolized. Christians say things like, I'm a human being, not a human doing. Or I felt used by God or used by the church. And now these things might sound legitimate and there's some level of legitimacy to those things because maybe they did feel, maybe they were used by God and maybe they were used by the church. And they are certainly a human being, not a human doing because human doing isn't really a thing. But people who adopt this type of mentality and this type of outlook on life usually end up living a very, very self-centered, self-focused, selfish life. The Apostle Paul, he kind of saw this kind of thing happening. And there was uh, this guy who he mentored, his name was Timothy. Timothy started, he got to know Paul when he was like 13 years old. And he traveled with Paul for like 15 to 18 years, somewhere in there. And learned everything he could from him. And then Paul started this church in a city called Ephesus. And then he left Timothy in this city of Ephesus to pastor this church. And then he knew what Timothy was up against. Like he had tried to pastor these people for a few years and it had been kind of hard going and the people kind of weren't having it sometimes. And then he knew what human nature was like. And then Paul also knew about Timothy's insecurities. So he wrote Timothy these letters to try and help him and encourage him and to give him direction for how to pastor this church. And he spoke to this issue of selfishness in 2 Timothy verse 4. Or chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It said this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. So he's about to say, this is what you're supposed to do, Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths or fables. But you, keep your head in all situations and endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul is giving this warning to Timothy, who's pastoring the church, but if we look closely, we can also see a warning to the body of Christ, not just to Timothy. The warning that Paul gives to the body of Christ is to be careful to not look for a message that will tell you what you want to hear or lead you to a place of comfortability and self-centeredness. When we set aside fruitfulness, we have missed the gospel. We set aside the message of the cross. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we see the call to fruitfulness. The entire New Testament is a story about how Jesus interacted with people. And it, after those interactions, we see fruitfulness in those people's lives. The Bible that we read is actually the fruitfulness of some people's lives because they sat down and wrote it. There's this guy who um, had some TV shows that I kind of liked watching now and again. His name was Mike Holmes. He spelled his last name H-O-L-M-E-S. And his first show was called Holmes on Holmes. I think he had five subsequent shows after that. And he's actually in the process of starting a new, another new show. It turns out this guy is the most famous contractor in the world. I didn't really know that at the time. I 
enjoyed watching his shows, but I didn't know he was the most famous contractor in the world. He dethroned Bob Vila, if anybody's curious. Um, so this guy had this first show that he uh, started called Homes on Homes. And in this show, he would go to people's homes and he would help them fix problems they were having in their house. So maybe they had uh, an experience with like a natural disaster, like an earthquake or something, and their house got really messed up and he would come and he would bring a crew of people and specialists and they would fix it. Um, but a lot of times what happened was it was people who got taken advantage of by a contractor. So maybe a contractor would come and they would say, hey, we want you to do this job. And they would take the, the contractor would take the money and they would run away. Or maybe they would do the job and they would do it poorly. And then the house was like in serious jeopardy because the contractor didn't do a good job. So Mike Holmes and his crew would come in and they would fix whatever needed to be fixed. There's this one episode where this couple wanted to put an addition on their house. So... They hired this contractor and he came and they put this huge addition on the side of their house. On the first floor, it was like a huge living area, family room kind of a thing. And then on the second floor, it was going to be a master bedroom, master bath with a big walk-in closet. So they hired this contractor, they gave him the money, he did the job, he left, everything seemed good. Then like maybe six months later, uh, on the second uh, second story of the addition, where the ceiling meets the old house, a gap started to open up. So it was like maybe like an inch and a half or something like that. So they called the contractor and they had a six month warranty on the work, which was almost about to expire. So they called him and they said, hey, like this crack is opening up, can you come look at it? So he came and he looked at it and he said, well, sometimes houses settle, it's not a big deal. And he patched it up and painted and went on his way. So then a few months later, the crack opened up again. So the people look at it and they're like, oh man, this isn't good. So they call the contractor and he said, I'm sorry, like your warranty is expired, but you, know, you could hire someone to come and patch it up and it should be fine. Sometimes houses settle. So they hired a contractor, he came, he patched it up, he painted, and they went on their way. It happened again. A few months later, the crack opens up again. But this time, the wife is out doing yard work and she looks up at the addition on the outside of the house and she realizes that crack is not just on the inside of the house, that crack is also on the outside of the house. And the addition is actually falling off of the original house. So they called another contractor, he came and looked at it and he was like, this is a mess, I don't really want anything to do with it. So then they applied with Mike, Mike Holmes' foundation and they got selected. By the time Mike Holmes gets there, the addition is completely falling off the house. The roof is like two feet away from the house at the top and it goes all the way, it's like a big V, all the way down to like three inches away at the bottom. You can look down the side of the house and see in one side and all the way out the other. So Mike Holmes looks at it and he ends up determining that the person didn't put in a proper foundation. So they didn't put in a proper foundation and the foundation that they did put in was falling and it was calling, causing the outside of the house to fall and open up this big gap. So he says, we got to tear it down and we got to put up a new foundation and then build a new addition. So they start tearing down the addition and they bring in an excavator and they brought in a zoning officer and he looked at it and he said, well, you got to put your footings below the frost line and then build walls on top of it and you should be good to go. He said they needed 16 inch footings and because Mike Holmes is Mike Holmes, he said he wanted to put in 24 inch footings. He said they needed an 8-inch wall. Mike Holmes wanted to put in a 10-inch wall. He wanted to make sure this never happened again. So the excavator comes and he starts digging to put in this foundation. 
So he goes over to one side and he starts digging and he gets down about two feet and he puts the bucket in a third time and he pulls the, the earth back and the entire hole fills with water like almost instantly. So then he goes over to another area and he starts digging and he gets down about three feet now and he says, okay, maybe we're okay. He takes one more path with the excavator the hole fills with water immediately. So Mike Holmes looks at it and he says, I think the original contractor probably did the same thing and then put in a really shallow foundation because there was a water issue. So then Mike Holmes, because he has access to all these specialists, he brings in a specialist who deals with underwater, underground water and soil composition. So this guy comes and he's got this crazy tool that digs underground and goes all over the place and has a camera on the end of it. And so he looks all over the place and he puts together a little video to show Mike what was happening. So Mike looks at it and he says, well, there's an aquifer under the entire house. He said, but in most places, it's like 30 to 40 feet below the ground, which is no big deal. He says, but in what used to be the backyard, but is now where the addition is, that aquifer is only two feet below the surface. He said, so it'd be a really good place to dig a pond if you wanted to. And the homeowner's there, and the, the guy was, like, very superstitious. And he's like, I knew this was a bad idea. I tried to tell my wife, and he blamed his wife, and it was her fault. And So Mike talks to the guy about a possible solution, and then he ends up calling a friend of his who he'd worked with before who builds houses down south, where they use, like, piers and beams to build houses on. So he, he calls his friend, and they usually take these big telephone poles and drive those in the ground and then build on top of those. But he looked at it and he said, I don't think that's really going to work here I didn't, for a bunch of reasons. So he said, I have another kind of pier we can use. So he says, let me go get it and I'll show you. So he brings this thing over and it kind of looks like a post hole digger, like a big auger. And they attach this big shaft on the top of it. And they put like this huge hammer drill thing on the top of it. And it drives the auger and drives this thing down into the ground. So he said, we should be able to go down like 10, maybe 15 feet if we absolutely have to. And then we'll check the PSI against the, the auger head and we'll see if there's enough pressure to hold up the house. So I said, okay, let's do it. So they put the first one in. It goes down 10 feet. And he looks at the gauge that's showing the pressure on it, and it's like not even half of what it's supposed to be. So they say, all right, well, let's put another 10-foot shaft on and drive that down. So they put another 10-foot shaft on. They drive that down. Now he's down 20 feet. He's still barely only half the pressure that he's supposed to be. So they put another 10-foot shaft on, he drives it down, now he's 30 feet down, he's rising in pressure, he's getting closer. And in the end, he ended up having to put this thing down 35 feet, because he had never put it down more than 15 feet before. And then they had to put that 16 of those around the outside of the prim perimeter of the house to hold up this addition that they were putting on. So the guy who owns the house, he comes out and he looks and he's like, I told you we shouldn't do this. This was a crazy idea. This was my wife's crazy idea. It's too much work for everybody. Like, she had to have her master bathroom and she had to have all this stuff. He's blaming his wife still. And Mike says, well, hold up. Before you blame your wife, he says, this is what he said. He said, you can always build up, but sometimes you have to go deep first. He said, when we're done, everyone's going to see this beautiful addition but they won't have any idea how deep of a foundation we had to put in. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, that's what our lives should be like. Our lives should be like this beautiful addition that sticks out on the side of the house so everyone who walks by sees it. And they could say, man, I wonder who made that. Our lives should be on display and point towards the Creator. But on our own, 
our lives are just going to fall down just like that addition fell down unless we're properly connected to the foundation and unless that foundation goes deep amen would you turn in your bibles to john chapter 15 John chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear much fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. So what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is I want to look at three areas of fruitfulness in our, in our lives. Three, three areas that we can be fruitful. The first one is how, or sorry, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Are you journeying towards who God made you to be? This isn't about being perfect. This isn't about making your life look like someone else. But are you growing? Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you taking the necessary steps to weed the garden of your life so that good fruit can come to the surface? I don't exactly know why this is. I know every church goes through different seasons, but for whatever reason, here at Family Life Church, it seems like there's been like a lot of stuff going on in the lives of different people. Like if you were to look at our churches, we have a Facebook um, page for, for prayer requests. And if you like look at that over the last like four or five months, it's like, it's a super, super busy page. I mean, there's lots of prayer requests, lots of things going on in the lives of people who are part of this church or their families. Maybe it's just a season. I don't know. But I would imagine that for some of you, I know for certain some of you, you have been the ones that have been in the midst of those hard situations, those hard seasons. I think probably for some of you, you would say you've been in a season that you probably wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Or if nothing else, maybe a season that at least you hope you never have to walk through again. But what's going on inside of you in this season? What's going on in your heart in this challenging season that you've been walking through? Are you growing? Or is that challenge that you're walking through being wasted? Are you getting everything you can out of this season that you're in? In the Psalms, David said, You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. For the sake of this message this morning, we're going to consider your enemies to be the challenges you've been facing, the things that you've been walking through. So what happens at your dining room table? You eat. And what is food for your body? Nourishment, right? So what David's saying is you provide nourishment for me in the midst of my challenge. In the, that means in the, right in the midst of it, where you're at right now, there is the necessary nourishment to feed you what you need to get through this challenge and maybe even some lessons that you need to learn in order to be victorious in the next season of your life. 
Are you getting the nourishment that the Lord intended you to get out of this season of your life? Or are you just getting angry? Another way you could say it is, are you getting better or are you getting bitter? Grow to the degree that God intended you to grow in this challenging season. Don't miss out on the stuff that he has for you. So who are you becoming, number one? And number two, what are you doing? Are you doing all that he made you to do? As I shared earlier, we're called to bear fruit. The fruitfulness of your life shouldn't be the starting point. If the fruitfulness or the stuff that you do of your life is the starting point, then we're in the cycle of works. But the stuff that you do should be a natural result of your relationship with Christ. Are you seeing a lot of fruit in your life? Or has your life become kind of insulated? There's a saying that people say in relationship to being a dad. They say half the gig is just showing up. And I think that's kind of true when it comes to being fruitful too. It's hard to be fruitful when you're not present. Sometimes these days we tend to insulate ourselves from the people that we're actually called to be fruitful with. People we should be investing in, people we should be serving, people we should be caring for, people we should be loving. Is your life gated off from the people around you that you are called to be fruitful with? Is your life like gated off and you open that gate of your life to let people in once in a while so you can feel good about yourself and then you push that person back out and shut the gate again? Or is your life more like those who are in need, they have access to you? Jesus is the perfect example of someone who moved in the cycle of grace. And Jesus' life was literally poured out to satisfy those around him who were in need. If you read through the New Testament, you see all these miracles and all these amazing things that Jesus does. Almost all of them are interruptions in his life. Almost all of them are unexpected things. It's not like he was going to do a miracle. It's like he was headed over here, and then he bumped into this woman. And then he looked at it and said, you know what, this is an opportunity to pour my life out to make a difference in this person's life who's thirsty. Is your life being poured out, or has the water of your life become stagnant? Does your life look like a flowing river, or does it look more like a pond that's kind of gross and disgusting? No inflow, no outflow. It's missing life. April and I had uh, some friends over one time, and uh, we were hanging, we had dinner, and then we were hanging out in the backyard. We were playing with the kids, and uh, this colorful individual, I'll say, and I don't mean colorful in a, in a good way, walked through my backyard. And I'm not sure who this gentleman was talking to, but he was talking the whole way. I don't know if he was talking to himself or talking to... Who knows? He was just talking the whole way. And he was saying some stuff that I kind of wish that my kids and the other kids that were in the backyard wouldn't have heard. And so my friend kind of looked over at me and said, so when are you going to put up a fence? And uh, I understood why he, he said that, but I kind of thought about it. And I thought, you know what? Like, no, I'm not going to put up a fence. I'm not going to put up a, a barrier between me 
and the people that I'm called to love, like what I probably should do is go talk to that guy and see if he needs something, not entertain a conversation with you about gating that guy out of my yard. Um, is our life like that? Do we make room for people, or are we looking to insulate ourselves and protect ourselves? Do I naturally have a, a natural tendency to want to do that? Yes. I would naturally want to put up a fence around my yard to keep the creepy guy out. But that's what my flesh wants to do. And when my flesh wants to do that, my spirit says, hold on a second. You're not called to live in a commune where you don't let these people into your life and just live on an island. Like you're called to build a relationship with these people and love them and care for them. And maybe that person was actually sent to my yard by God because he needed my help. And maybe I didn't care enough at, in that moment to help him. If you're someone who struggles with isolating yourself, I want you to listen, listen to me this morning. Isolation will spoil the fruit of your life every single time. Your life is supposed to bear fruit that provides nourishment to the people around you. And if you isolate yourself, the fruit of your life will literally get spoiled and become poisonous. Loving people is always inconvenient. It's usually hard. It usually requires sacrifice. But it's always worth it because it's what we were made to do. We were made to be fruitful. So who are you becoming? What are you doing? And how are you feeling? I want to close this morning by contrasting two verses for you. The first one I already read to you. It's John 15, verse 6. It says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. Think dry, shriveled, twisted, easy to break. And they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Think burnout, lifeless, without passion, or energy, or dry. I want to contrast this to this verse in Jeremiah, uh, chapter 17, verses 8. It says, They will be like a tree planted, think connected, a good foundation, by the water, think life and sustenance, that sends out its roots, again the foundation, by the stream, think life and energy. It does not fear when heat comes, think strength and security. Its leaves are always green, and it has no worries in a year of drought. It's fearless, and never fails to bear fruit. Does your life feel more like a withered, dried-out branch that is headed towards burnout? Or does it feel like a branch that's attached to the vine where water and life and nourishment can flow through it? I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Um, sometimes on, on the, fourth, the fourth Sunday of each month we have a prayer team that comes forward and prays for people but we're not going to do that today what i want to do is just make opportunity for you to come before the lord just for you you and god maybe you want to kneel down maybe you want to sit stand whatever you want to do but i'd like to give you a chance to respond maybe you see yourself in one of these three areas of fruitfulness that i talked about this morning maybe it's like for you you can look back at different seasons of your life and you can see times where you used to grow. It's like you were headed in a direction. There was growth happening. 
but right now it feels like that growing season is like completely off the table. You're not growing anymore. You're just kind of at a plateau, staying right where you are. And this morning when you heard me say that, you would say, God, like, I don't want to stay the same forever. I want to continue to grow. Maybe I've gotten older, but Lord, you can teach an old dog new tricks. And I want to continue to grow and I want to begin to look like you even more as I age. Or maybe this morning you realize that your life has become insulated. It has become self-centered. You see your tendency towards isolation and you realize it doesn't lead to fruitfulness. And not only does it not lead to fruitfulness, but it's really damaging to you as a person. You feel alone often. And you're not bearing fruit, but you also feel like you're living on an island by yourself. And this morning you would say, I want to begin to bear fruit in that area of my life. I don't want to isolate myself. Or maybe this morning you feel withered or burnt out. And you realize that you've been moving in the cycle of works. It's like you've been trying to earn this place of acceptance with God, and it's been exhausting. You're frustrating the people around you. You're frustrating yourself. And you say, you know what? I want to be attached to the vine. I want to have the life of Jesus flowing into me. And I want to be fruitful, but not because I want to earn something, but because I have this Jesus who I fell in love with, and I want to tell everyone about him. So if any of those spoke to you this morning, I just want to open the altar and make a place for you to come and meet with the Lord. And if you need to go this morning, we're going to go ahead and close our service right now. Bless you, and thank you so much for coming. We hope that you have an awesome week.